Welcome to the Unsweetened Sayo podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsayo.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of Unsweetened Sio, the podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have my friend Brady Kramer here to tell his story as part of my addiction chronicles. Brady was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and received a full athletic scholarship to play hockey at Providence College and was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens out of high school. After just 18 minor league games, he retired due to challenges with anxiety and depression. After struggling with alcohol, Brady quit drinking in 2011 and has been sober ever since. He is heavily involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and gives talks to youth regarding mental health awareness. He's the owner of BCTK, a company that manages the operations and logistics of corporate events and business travel programs, which is how we met because we work together. And he is married and lives in Berwyn, Pennsylvania with his wife, Pauline. So thank you so much, Brady, for talking with me today. Well, thank you for having me. Super excited. Brady and I just met um, not very long ago, just like two months in January. Yeah. And if that, it's funny because I kept seeing your name and it turned out, yeah, as we um, figured out on our second to last program that we were working back to back programs together. And what better way of uh, getting to know someone than to work three straight weeks together? Exactly. (laughs) And just have so much in common. Um, I was really, you know, as I talk in my podcast, I'm getting more comfortable talking about my sugar addiction and I think Brady and I were eating a meal together and um, I just kind of said, you know, I don't eat sugar or flour and someone might have asked why. And I said, because I'm addicted and Brady right away just jumped in with his story, um, which I just really appreciated. And he got, I just said, you got it right away. And it just kind of struck me again that it doesn't matter what your addiction is. You really, you know, when you hear someone else that's struggling, you can really just kind of understand what they're going through. So I just felt that instant connection, I guess, with you from right away, like, oh yeah, I get it. Because so many people are like, what? What do you eat then? Or whatever. But you just got it right away, which was really cool for me. So anyway, why don't you start and tell us a little bit about your stuff, your story. We hit it a little bit in the bio, but let's get, you know, tell us a little bit more. Absolutely, Siobhan. And and just to kind of um, backspace, just one quick second, um, you know, I think we did hit it off right away and we hit it off because for me, what's important that I express to people in my message when I do speak is that unless we talk to each other about these things, we never know. And if you never know, for me, then it's that hidden secret. And the hidden secret is one of the problems that lead to what I thought was the solution, which was um, drinking alcohol or eating, you know, or or consuming sugar or whatever it may be. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, 
it's not surprising that you and I found each other because um, I make it a point to pretty much tell everyone what's going on because A, it's a safety net for me. Um, I don't mind that people know. I'm not embarrassed that I'm an alcoholic. I'm not embarrassed that I'm an addict because at the same sense, um, it saved my life because it brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a program that has saved my life. Um, at the same point, you know, conversations like this um, are another way of connection, which is a way for me to continue and find meaning out of life. And that's what, um, you know, keeps me going. But, you know, that's just an aside for me. It, it um, you know, my story is, uh, you know, probably similar to others, but different in the sense that I'm me. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was a hockey player, grew up, um, you know, succeeding and doing well at hockey. Um, I started skating at the age of four, but at the same point, um, was the youngest of six children and something that you and I may not have ever touched on, but um, two children, two of my parents' children had passed away at an early age. Maybe we did touch on that, but, um, you know, I always felt like I was being the youngest of six and, and youngest by four years to my closest sibling. I always kind of thought I was the replacement for everybody and I had to be the perfect child. And, you know, and, and I think there's some themes in here that I'll probably talk about that may ring true because, you know, as we spoke, um, and we mentioned prior to the podcast here, you know, there's a similarity with any addiction in that it's really just a solution to a problem that's happening between your ears. And, um, and that problem can be anything from fear to insecurity, to vulnerability, to perfectionism, all of those things. And I grew up feeling like I had to be perfect. And, um, you know, to that end, I, <clears throat> I didn't really try things unless I knew I'd be perfect at it. And I had a very good in in that hockey consumed my life pretty much 24 seven. And that was okay because I, you know, it's like learning two languages as a, as a youth, you tend to pick them up a little bit easier. Well, I'd known hockey since I was four. So I knew how to play and I knew how to excel at it. And, um, you know, the long and short of it is when I, um, I went to college um, on a scholarship, as I mentioned, I succeeded, I got drafted. Um, but at age 21, when I signed with uh, Montreal, I went and played, uh, you know, my first, my first pro game. And, and it, you know, turned out that I got into a fight and, you know, got beat up pretty good. And the anxiety, the depression, the panic came in. And I didn't know what to do with it. And so what I ended up doing was, you know, suffering through it. Like I think we all do suffer through our problems. But then when it became too much, I chose my addiction of choice, which was alcohol. And um, I got drunk and went home and quit. And, um, and that kind of led to my first real big experience with using an escape mechanism to not deal with life on life terms. So you didn't really drink much before that? Um, just Very good point. No, you know what? I was always a drinker, but not, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I was a binge drinker. Mm. You know, I, I'm the, and that's what kind of snuck up on me. I thought everybody when, you know, because of hockey, 
I could stay away from the alcohol when I knew I needed to perform the next day. But if we had a day off, look out. Um, I went and I drank hard. And I thought everyone did it the same way I did. And also, you know, hockey is, is a bit of a culture of, you know, oh, we're big drinkers. And, you know, and truth be told, there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in, in that, in, in athletics in general. But um, amongst hockey players, there's that warrior mentality. And, you know, no one wants to admit that they're scared or vulnerable or, um, you know, ashamed maybe of their behavior. And um, when I could get an opportunity to go drink, I drank. And, um, you know, I would say I drank once a week, but always a binge drinker. And, um, but that, um, yeah, but that is a very, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, I, I didn't start out that I was a drinker every day. And, and also, you know, I think it's important to know that, you know, with any kind of addiction, we come in all shapes and sizes. You know, um, it's, you know, the, for alcohol in particular, um, the days of, you know, the alcoholic being the guy in the gutter, drinking out of a brown paper bag, you know, waking up in the morning and drinking and, you know, going to bed and drinking and, you know, not having a job. Those days, you know, have long since gone. There are those alcoholics, but the majority of us are fully functioning and just hide it in such a good way. And I'm sure much like, you know, a sugar addiction, um, you can, you know, you can hide your, your addiction so that no one really knows it. And um, a little bit tougher with alcohol in, in the sense of the, you know, repercussions. But bottom line is like, you know, it's, it's not like I was drinking every day. Um, but when I did drink, it was to cover up something. And it was to cover up that constant pressure of having to be the best. So, you know, but, you know, kind of moving forward, like my hockey career went and came and gone. And that could be a whole nother podcast just on that story in itself, because that was a calamity of errors. But um, after that, um, you know, I got into the travel business um, and, you know, again, travel industry is a party industry. You know, everybody is a drinker. Everybody um, likes to go out and have fun. It's that go, go, go mentality. And um, pretty much carried on the same way. I made sure I made my, made the bell, so to speak, you know, got up for work and, um, you know, function. But when I had the opportunity, I went out and I drank and I drank to get drunk. And, um, you know, that lasted for two to three years. I had my emotional hiccups in that point from here to there, but it it wasn't really Siobhan until, um, and, and this process went on, you know, until mid 2000s. And again, I knew in my heart of hearts that I was an alcoholic, but I didn't know what that had to do with being an addict. Um, I I knew that I drank too much, but again, I didn't know why I was drinking so much. I just thought I enjoyed letting off steam. I enjoyed that there was a sense for me that everything was going to be okay when I drank. Um, And um, it it worked until it didn't work, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know 
you know, we've talked, but I don't know if there was a certain jumping off point for you where you knew this had to stop. Yeah, I think just turning 40 was a big motivator for me because I just didn't want to live the rest of my life. For me, it was a constant like dieting, binging, dieting, binging. I just didn't want to live like that for the rest of my life. Yeah. And with alcohol, you know, (laughs) maybe unlike the, you know, maybe unlike a sugar addiction, but, but not so I, I can't even say that. I just know with alcohol, you know, I think your physical health is going to deteriorate and it's, you know, sooner, but also, you know, it's not something where I can have a candy bar at, inside my desk and get away with it. You know, I, I can't have an alcohol bottle inside my desk, quote unquote. And, you know, there are some people that do that and get away with it, but you know, there are the effects where you're going to have an emotional, physical reaction to alcohol. And, you know, for me, um, the mind altering portion of the alcohol took over. And I, um, you know, I worked as a physical education teacher. Um, I would start work at eight o'clock in the morning. I'd work till three o'clock. And then for a while, I was a coach of some of ice hockey, and I would go to that job. But the second I had any free time, I went from that once a week binge drinker to I was drinking every day. And um, I, you know, but I could still tell myself I didn't have a problem because I had what we call in Alcoholics Anonymous, the yets. And I don't know if you and I have ever talked about the yets. Okay. But you know, I hadn't had a DUI yet. I hadn't, um, you know, been hospitalized for, to have my stomach pump yet. Um, I hadn't gotten into an accident. I, you know, I hadn't drank while working yet. All those yets. Well, you know, in 2011, I got what I needed as my ground zero, my breaking point. And that was unfortunately a suicide attempt. And that's the emotional toil that I was struggling with. Um, You know, again, I woke up August 30th of 2011 suffering emotionally. Um, I was depressed. I was anxious. Um, I didn't know why, because my life on paper was amazing, but I did not feel right. Um, And and the precursor for me was really the anxiety. Um, I could deal with the depression. I've um, I've had depression since fifth grade. I'm a seven-time concussion guy, so I know depression. I know the effects that the head traumas had. I think you know the bigger picture for me is you know I'm okay mentally, um, as much as you can say that I am. But with the the head trauma, I've been to see the neurologist, the this and that. But I, I knew depression. I the anxiety was the one that was absolutely crippling to me. And I couldn't think, I couldn't talk. um, I could not function on a human level because of the anxiety and drinking didn't help. And then on August 30th, 2011, I thought, well, let's see if drinking will help in this situation. And um, I didn't wake up that day thinking, you know what, I'm going to try to hurt myself. I'm going to try to end life as I know it. I had had scary thoughts. I'd had suicidal thoughts, um, but I would never act on it until I got a substance in me that said I was strong enough to do it, quote unquote. 
knowing now, no, it's not something that was, I was strong enough to do it. It was something that I was just that much, that, that broken, that sad, that hopeless is the only word I could actually really describe it as. I was absolutely hopeless. And um, you put alcohol with an already fractured mental state and it's gonna lead to a recipe for disaster. And it did. And God willing, and um, you know, I, um, I do have faith. Um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is, believes in a power greater than ourselves. I choose to call that person God. Um, and it can be any God you want. Um, for me, it's, you know, maybe one day it'll be a Christian God. I don't know. It's just not me. <laughs> and, and that takes a lot of pressure off because I think, you know, for the longest time I fought like I had to be the God. And um, although that's heartbreaking to me, um, I am not God. And, um, but you know what? I, um, I woke up in the hospital, luckily and, and thankfully, the um, next morning. And then the race was on. I spent a year in and out of mental hospitals and in and out of, you know, either rehab or step down programs. And you know what, Siobhan, like I couldn't make it click. And I, I just felt awful. And I would never, ever try to hurt myself again because of really not because of me, but because I didn't want to put anyone through that torture again, because I knew my family was devastated and my girlfriend at the time was devastated. And, you know, I, I like to think that I care about people and I didn't want to put anyone through that. But at the same point, I was praying that I wouldn't go to get up in the next morning. You know, I was just that, I was in that much pain. And, um, one morning I hadn't slept all night, which was my, you know, my theme, I'd sleep all day and be up all night. And, uh, I was up at around four or 5.00 AM in the morning. And, um, I don't know if I've told you this story or not, but I went down the hall because I was living with my family in Rhode Island because I couldn't care for myself at the time. I just, I, I was a mess. I couldn't get out of bed. And, um, I knocked on my brother's door and my brother was staying there too. My brother's six years older than me. And so, you know, at the time I was, I guess, 37, he was, um, 43, maybe whatever it may be. And he had just done a, I think, I don't know how long, I want to say 70 days rings a bell, but he'd just come out of prison and he was staying at my family's house too. And yes, Thanksgivings are interesting at the Kramer household. <laughs> um, and uh, I said to him, I said, Griggs, cause his name's Chris, but I've always called him Griggs and he calls me Griggs. It's one of those childhood things that you're going to call me that I'll call you that. And uh, I said, Griggs, I can't do it anymore. Like this is absolute torture. And he said to me, why don't you come to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting with me? And I said, because I don't drink anymore. Why would I need to do that? And um, he said, maybe it's a little more than you think. And I had, you know what, Siobhan, I had no other solutions. I'd been to everything. I'd been to the best mental hospitals. I'd been to life gurus. I'd been to rehabs, therapists. I just, I felt terrible. And um, I took medication and, and still do, you know, very important that I establish that too. I, I, I think, you know, there's a, a pharmaceutical point part to some people's recovery like mine that is very necessary. Talk therapy is great, but I also 
believe in antidepressants, believe in anti-anxiety, whatever you can do to manage your life. I'm a big firm believer in because you never know what's going to work. And believe me, I didn't think Alcoholics Anonymous would because I had already determined what an alcoholic was. And that was somebody that we talked about prior that was lying in a ditch or somebody like my brother who had been out of prison. And uh, so I went to this meeting and, and you know what happened? Um, I announced myself as an alcoholic without any question, probably just because I wanted to fit in at the same time. But, you know, I did it and it felt okay. And then after the meeting, that one letter word that I think we all look for came to me and it was hope. And it was hope that I had figured maybe I had stumbled upon a solution to my problem, not, not a problem to my solution or what have you. And, um, and then my life started to gradually turn around. And um, I realized again that um, alcohol wasn't my problem. It was a solution. I realized that um, I was scared. Um, I had been, you know, afraid all my life that I'd be exposed to be someone that I was pretending not to be. And I used the, um, and I, and that I was an addict. What we talked to prior to this, I'm an addict in all shapes or forms. And, and, you know, addiction is like whack-a-mole. If you don't keep yourself on top of it and do things that you need to do to maintain a spiritually fit or physically fit or emotionally fit way of life, then the addiction of choice may not pop up, but something else is. And we talked prior, I am an alcoholic that is close to nine years sober, but um, I'm also a gambler, um, you know, a, a, a compulsive gambler, and I don't have 24 hours on that one. And I'm working on it. And, and I've come clean to people on it. And I, you know, I told my sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous about it. And I feel like, you know, all I've got is in AA terms is 24 hours. And, you know, as we talked before, I am definitely a sugar addict. Um, you know, I hid them per my wife's, um, per, because I don't know if, I don't think, do, do people see this, Siobhan, or is it just listening? Yeah. And so, you know, Siobhan and I are, are looking at each other. And, and so I did not want her to see the six donuts that I had behind me prior because my wife said that would probably be the equivalent of having a, you know, case of beer behind me on an Alcoholics Anonymous um, podcast. I appreciate that. (laughs) But again, it's, it's the mentality as much as it is the act, you know, if it's not, um, if it's, you know, so I, I'm, very much a sugar addict. I'm very much a gambler. I'm very much an alcoholic. Um, you know, and they're just masking agents and they're masking agents for something else bigger, which I, I, I'm not going to come here and say, I've got it licked, but it's getting better. And, um, and it continues to get better. And, um, you know, like I said, the, the next, the next, uh, part of this whack-a-mole game that I'm playing is the gambling. And that's just another addiction that popped up and took me by surprise. And, um, you know, I think, you know, when we talk about addiction in general, um, online gaming 
has really hit the East Coast by storm. Um, you know, it's legal in Pennsylvania, it's legal in New Jersey, it's, um, I think there's, you know, I don't know how many states now, but I, I know everybody's trying to get a piece of it. And for someone with an addictive personality, they are playing right into our house. You know, I mean, you, you know, I've been to some Gamblers Anonymous meetings and, you know, they talk about how hard it is to, you know, I guess in shorter terms, how hard it is to go by a sweet shop or how hard it is to see ice cream in the ice cream aisle and you avoid the aisles. Well, how about if you have a phone in your pocket and you have to try to avoid that by getting on these online gaming sites? And, you know, for my addictive personality, it's been a recipe for disaster. And um, I like to think I've placed my most, my last bet. Um, I have to do it like I did it with AA, and that's just in 24 hours, can I not do it? And right now, I'm hanging in there. So this is a good distraction for me. Well, yeah, and we were talking a little bit earlier before we started recording about how triggering it is just right now with the coronavirus, everyone kind of being in lockdown. And I bet everyone is, you know, with as far as the online gaming, what a perfect time to get addicted because a lot of people just have more time on their hands. They're stuck at home. And a lot of people worried financially about things too, probably hoping they can make a little something. So um, yeah, that right now I'm sure is a huge issue for a lot of people. And is, are you feeling a little bit triggered right now with everything going on? Like talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting because we talked prior um, as well about the Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. And thank, you know, thank God for technology. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's funny because you can either see the blessing and you can see the curse in some things. And I, I really do choose to see the blessing. Yeah, the technology of online gaming has absolutely crushed me. But the technology of online ad addiction meetings has absolutely saved my life. So I do Zoom meetings every morning, and um, I'm happy to tell you that, like, again, and it's, if you're desperate out there and you know addiction, then you know I'm still alive, and sometimes that's all I can say, and, and, and not like, I don't mean that to be overly dramatic, but I mean addiction is really serious, and, um, and you know, I've been walking a very thin line. And I know this, um, without the support groups, podcasts like you have, meetings, um, the fellowship that I've been involved, I would not be able to do it. And, um, and, and feel like, and you know what, Shimon, it's funny because like even going through this, even having told you what I've told you, at this moment, um, at, you know, for whatever it is on the East Coast, I feel fantastic because I am where I'm supposed to be. And that's talking to you. You know, the, the minute this meeting stops and, and our podcast ends, then the real world comes in again. And have I been triggered? You know, I felt really good up until the last, you know, four or five days where I think everything is kind of squeezed out of the balloon a little bit. And yeah, I've been struggling. And, but, again, like I've been struggling, but I've had people to talk to about it. 
And, um, and like I said, I came and it was so funny, Siobhan, because I was like sitting in my car on the Zoom meeting this morning and I was like, you know, on the Zoom meetings, you can raise your hand, you know, electronically. And I raised my hand electronically and I'm sitting there like it's like in the old school days where you, you know, you see the red light blinking on the phone because it's the call you have to take and you know who it is and you don't want to take it. And the hand was just like blinking like, shit, I'm going to have to tell everyone. All right, I'm going to have to tell anyone. And I did. And you know what? Like, I really feel like I've turned the corner. Um, I, you know, I can't, I can't say anything definitively because like I said, you know, I'm, I don't have enough time under my belt, but this is a perfect time to talk about this with you because I feel like I have turned the corner. Um, back to your question, it's a tremendously triggering time. Um, for alcoholics, a lot of people, even though they're not drinking, are finding other ways to, you know, let their stress out. Um, my sponsor is talking about not being able to stay away from the refrigerator. You know, I, I mean, just cannot get out of his way. Um, for me, it was the gambling. For another guy that I know that's an addict that's in the program, you know, his thing is like he's doing online baseball cards or I don't know, like buying and selling. Some people are shopping, you know, we're, we're trapped, you know, we're trapped in our, in our, we're always trapped in our heads if you're an addict, if you know what I mean, but now we're trapped in our, our heads and our homes and um, without these kind of resources and without being able to talk about it, you know, it, you're going to find something to get in trouble with. And, um, you know, for me, luckily, um, I, like I said, I do have these meetings, but I, um, yeah, I, I think my wife's scared. She's a nurse. Um, you know, I, I just was telling you, I have a friend who's my financial advisor and was telling about all the damage I had done gambling over the last year. And, he just so happened to mention at the end that his wife had COVID-19 and it's like, wow, don't I feel like a dummy, you know, finances are finances. He, this, this guy is, um, his wife had what we're all, you know, frightened to death about. And I'm happy to say that, you know, it's been about two and a half weeks, three weeks, and she's, you know, 99% better. And, and it's, you know, what I tell people there, it's like, for those of you that are scared out there, like, you know what, like, do the right thing, stay indoors, you know, do socially responsible things and know that like, if you're younger, like you, you, you know, you, you could be, you have a very good chance of making it through. If you are not scared, then start getting scared <laughs> because this is killing a lot of people and we can really be very, very helpful in keeping this from spreading any further. If we just do some simple things like using zoom <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah yeah um i was very grateful for uh, my listeners know that i've never really been part of a support group like that and that i now do have two weekly zoom meetings that i'm attending for my addiction and it's just been so helpful especially right now and so grateful like you said for the technology that we can do that um and just hearing other people like me, you know, like we were talking or like the me too, that people that just get it. Yeah. Um, for me, it's a lot around the scarcity of food, not being able to get the foods, I, the abstinent foods that I need, like 
because I got a little later start to the grocery store when people had cleared everything out. <laughs> mm, yeah. And yeah, I'm running low on toilet paper. So, you know, I don't know. But um, that doesn't really stress me as much as if I can't find my meat and vegetables that I eat or whatever. Yep. Um, but it's just nice knowing, hearing from other people that are in that same boat. And I think it's more important than ever to have these conversations and to be talking to other people. So if you don't have a support group, yeah, I really encourage you. There's so many different Zoom meetings available now. Um, I think that it's crucial right now. Um, and I just love how honest you are, Brady, and open and vulnerable and just saying, you know, it helps you just by sharing your story. Um, that's made me, I think, feel more brave to share mine. I've gotten more and more comfortable being able to tell people, yep, I'm an addict. But I think that when you do, it takes the power away from it each time. And you really don't even know how many people you're helping when you share your story. Um, and, you know, hanging out with you these, for those few weeks, I got to witness you, you know, telling your story over and over and kind of motivating and really, I think, connecting with a lot of people that your story really resonated with them. And that never would have happened if you didn't have the courage to share it. So you're helping. I think that's a good reminder for everybody by being vulnerable and sharing your story. You're probably helping so many other people out there. Um, that might be struggling or know someone that's struggling and just by you sharing it really relieves some of that for them so well thank you and and it's funny like you mentioned a few things like number one like you're right it takes the sting out of it like it, it's that whole like well you can't talk behind my back because I'm already telling you yeah you know, it, it's kind of like that you know that um that hack but at the same point it's more than a hack because it's like, you know, it feels better and it feels so much better that I don't have to hide it, that I actually feel empowered by telling you. Um, and, and so it, it works in both ways that in the beginning, it was again, like, I'm just telling you. So, so no one else tells you, but now it's like, I'm telling you because you know what, I'm damn proud of it. And, and I really am. And, and, you know, thank you for saying that because like, you don't, you never know who you've touched by telling your story. I said what I said this morning, you know, on a Zoom meeting with about 52 alcoholics. And while I was talking and right after I was talking, I got eight texts from people who said, wow, you just hit me right between the eyes with that one. Thank you. You know, and that's something that's even more amazing about these Zoom meetings is like, you know, in AA, the big thing is no crosstalk. Like you can't like, if you say something, I can't like say, well, you know, Siobhan said something and I totally disagree and, you know, or I totally agree. You just try to avoid that. Well, you know, the good thing about Zoom meetings is you can text people while you're on it. Be like, hey, good share, man, where you can't really do that during a live meeting. And it was so, I was so grateful. But, you know, I had two people, two or three people reach out to me that had under 90 days of sobriety, which is a big thing. Like for us in AA, we, we announced that as, you know, one of our, our things, if you have under 90 days, so the group kind of knows that, you know, you're still new to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I had one guy that reached out to me that I didn't even know was at the meeting um, because not everybody shows their names. And he basically just said, Brady, like, you know, I knew him. He's like, you know, I know your story. 
because I'm the same, I have the same dual addiction. And um, man, was that good to know. Because again, it's, it's not that I, you know, it's hard enough to tell people, but then to feel shame and sympathy like no don't don't feel sympathy to me like you can empathize with me i get it <laughs> you know empathize with me meaning again like you and i think i've talked about like you know i know what you're talking about don't feel like sorry for me i don't need that um what i need to know is like do you understand where i'm coming from mm-hmm. and that's where the connection comes in when people say me too and um i get it and the commonality of addiction regardless of whether it's sugar or alcohol is the same it's um it's a solution to a bigger problem in my mind that um that we're all going to continue to work on and the one thing that's great for me which i struggled with in you know in my 20s is i thought i was going to outgrow this i thought that i was going to graduate um and and when i say that i mean not from alcohol I, i think i mean more from like depression from anxiety from emotional struggles i thought you know one day i'm just going to get old enough and figure it out you know and i don't graduate and and i'm okay with that you know i'm never graduating from alcoholics anonymous because i don't have to and i don't want to because now you know for me i didn't have any skills to live life <laughs> you know i had skills to play hockey but no one gave me the the life handbook and I don't know if anyone has that, but if you can get me a copy, that'd be awesome. But I have found a program that gives me some pretty darn good tools. And, um, and one of them is what we're doing right now. And that's just talking to another addict. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just so powerful. And I'm learning that too, in the meetings and doing the same thing where you can chat or text, like, that was a really powerful share. I'm feeling the same way. I mean, that it is, it's so amazing. But I'm curious, since you just mentioned tools and we're gonna kind of be wrapping up here, but what else, cause you kind of talked about trying to stay spiritually fit, mentally fit, fit, like what other tools for you works during these times where being highly triggered as far as kind of staying sober? Like what is some of your daily routines that helps keep you going? Well, you know, again, obviously the meetings are super helpful talking to other people, but, um, God, and and I never thought I'd find the, I never thought I'd see the day that I would actually say this out loud, but gratitude, Mm -hmm. you know, just gratitude. And, and for those of you that are new to gratitude, it, it sounds so hokey, but I'm telling you, it, it really, it's scientifically, if you're a scientific person, it's, spiritually if you're a spiritual person it hits both chords because you know what it works it's like if you make a gratitude list and i am telling you even if you don't mean a single thing on it but you just go through the process of being grateful for something and and i've added to it siobhan i you know i can say i'm grateful for siobhan but i also say why and i say you know i'm grateful for siobhan and, and and again you know i don't go to a park and announce this to everyone, you know, maybe I write it down, maybe I just say it in my head, but you know, something as simple as I'm grateful for Siobhan for bringing me to this podcast and making me aware, you know, that there's another person out there struggling. That process triggers something in your brain that makes you 
you know, different chemicals come out and, and you will start to feel better. So, you know, definitely that, um, I try to exercise, obviously, like we all do, that is a, obviously being indoors, it's a struggle. Um, you know, going for walks, breathing. I am not good at the meditation. I'm working on it. I know that's a huge part of my, um, my program that I need to get better at. Um, but, you know, also, you know, I'll end with this just simple, like grounding exercises, you know, like I, I know there's one that I love where you, you know, you look and, and you find five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and then one, you know, feeling you want to feel. And so little tools like that, um, you know, I, I think are, are all just different things that continually help build my, you know, and I hated the word too when I was in, when I was in early recovery, but my toolbox and, you know, <laughs> it's like, ugh, if you say your toolbox one more time, but it's like my strategies. <laughs> exactly. And I love what you said about gratitude. That's so, so true. I've done an episode about gratitude and yeah, it really shifts, helps shift your mindset the more you do that. And I just do it a lot in my head, like you're saying, even now, like when I'm really stressed and feeling triggered, I'll stop and then just start listing things automatically that I'm grateful for in that moment. And it really does just kind of flip how you're feeling. It's really amazing. I know a lot of people do gratitude journals and write things down, but it's as easy as just taking a second to be grateful, you know, for me yeah. staying at home with my kids, like if they, they fight all the time and when they're playing together nicely, I always stop and say, I am so grateful. I know. <laughs> One minute of peace and quiet of them getting along, you know, and just really enjoy that moment. So is there anything else you want to leave us with? Any last words before we wrap up that maybe we didn't get to that you wanted to share? Well, I, I think just on a final note, thank you. Um, my wife, um, you know, she, she tells me and, and she's just my partner for life. And, um, she tells me, you know, her sister passed away six or seven years ago and, um, really struggled with it cause they were best buddies. And, and she said, you know, if the only prayer you can say each day is thank you, then you've done enough and thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so grateful that you're here today sharing your story. And I know this is going to inspire a lot of people. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember, life is so much sweeter without sugar.